Welcome to Motherhood Exposed. Join me, Zoe Cresswell, mum of two and a UK trained midwife and doula, as I meet with an array of amazing women navigating life and motherhood. Since becoming a mum for the second time, after my own complex journey, I've become more and more aware that motherhood is so unique. There's no one story the same, and women need support now more than ever. I hope by allowing mothers to openly speak out, we can help to break the silence around many topics. We need to shout out that there is no normal, and that is something we need to embrace. Motherhood isn't always picture perfect, so let's bust some myths, realign expectations, and share the journey together. Today, I've been delighted to speak to Kat Storbridge, aka Trying Years, and host of the fabulous podcast, Finally Pregnant. After seven years of trying to conceive, Kat is now mum to 15-month-old little Wren. Kat talks me through her journey and how she's turned her experience around to now be an ambassador for the Trying to Conceive community, whilst hosting an array of wonderful initiatives to support couples on their fertility journey. As always, if you need support with any of the topics touched on today, please visit the show notes for links. So um, shall we start right at the beginning um, of how you and Bob met or where you and Bob met? Oh yeah, oh. right, right at the beginning. Right, yeah. I like. I'm so nosy. I like to get all the all the details, <laughs> all the gory details. So me and Bob. No, 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 no. We'll save the gore. Um, Bob and I met on holiday in Egypt. Actually, um, we'd both come out of quite long term relationships and had gone away just for a week's sunshine. And I spotted him on the aeroplane and thought, why weren't we sat next to someone like him? Because we were sat next to a right weirdo. <laughs> um, and and then we got chatting that night in the grotto. So you were you were in the same staying in the same area in the same hotel. Yeah, yeah, in the same hotel. And, All um, meant to be. Honestly, and then <laughs> even even kind of more meant to be was back in London where I had moved because I'm from London originally and I had moved back from Australia a few months before but um so I'd gone back to London and he lived 10 minutes down the road from me no so and had lived there for like years and years and years so over the like 10 years prior we had probably been on the same train or walking down the same street that kind of like you know this happens doesn't it the whole sliding doors thing yeah Um, and yeah we didn't have a holiday romance because we just got on really well and thought you know what let's just be drinking buds when we get home um but within a few months it became quite clear that that wasn't just going to be it so yeah that was in 2012 (laughs) oh it's so lovely and then when did you No, it wasn't that's a lie that was in 2008 (gasps) Uh 2008 we got married in 2012 (laughs) well let's hope he doesn't listen then (laughs) you no (laughs) because you've been together 12 years now that's my yes yeah 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 crazy honestly and And i'm not a long-term commitment girl i really am not (laughs) before that it was like two two and a half years and i was out of there so yeah he's definitely a keeper did you say that as part of your wedding vows by the way bob this isn't i'm not a long-term girl for you know i did not as part of my (laughs) wedding vows but when i first met him i told him to go away and come back in october as a romantic thing because i had too much to do all summer That is amazing. <laughs> His friends thought I was a total bitch. <laughs> but the thing is, just to put it into context, I know this isn't what this is about, but... No, it's fine. Um, Good. <laughs> just to put it into context, I had just got out of a long-term relationship and that summer was just like festivals and weekends away and like just my girlfriends. It wasn't about any boys whatsoever, you know, and yeah. I just wanted to go and have a good time. And, and that's why, like, I just didn't want... 
you know, I was I just didn't have room for the kind of a love interest particularly. Do you know what you were doing? You were doing exactly what your mother would have told you to do. Probably, probably. <laughs> and the thing is, have you some know, time to yourself, Kat. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but you know, like I was doing the right thing because, well, obviously I can go out and have fun now anyway. But you know, I just needed to let loose a little bit and um and then settle down with him forever. So it was all good. Yeah. <laughs> so um married Met 2008, married 2012 and started trying for a baby. Just after we got married, actually. So we got married in the February. I changed jobs. So we thought, well, it would be rude to go on maternity leave immediately, you know, because we were going to get pregnant immediately. So we left it until kind of the August. Um, And I do think I got pregnant that very first month, I have to say. Um, I remember walking down the road and just getting the worst nausea, like stopped me in my tracks. And all that day, I couldn't eat things. And it was just a really weird day. But unfortunately, then my period did come. Um, and But yeah, I think we did get pregnant that very first time. Then, then when did you um, start like getting concerned that you weren't conceiving? Quite. So I say within a year or so, um, we were... So I was like 34 by then. Bob was... He's three years older than me. Um, so we weren't spring chickens, although we weren't worried about that at the time, yeah. particularly. Um, but I had a couple of friends on my side and Bob had the same on his side who had been going through fertility treatment for a while. Okay. So it was something we were conscious of. Um, so yeah, it, it, within a year we went to the doctors and put, got put through the kind of first rounds of tests and things. And we were diagnosed with unexplained infertility, which has been our diagnosis all the way through. They've never found anything specific. Um, how do you, um, how do you find that diagnosis? It really, uh, I think it's just a lack of knowledge. If I'm honest, I think that, so a couple of years ago it was IVF was 40 and I was asked at the time what I thought about that. And I think it's amazing, obviously, that, you know, we've been creating babies and so much loved for babies, you know, for the last 40 years. But I also think if you compare it to other kind of kind of medical areas, the the progress is so limited, you mm. know, and I just think there's so much more that we need to do and so much more research we need um, so that in 10, 15, 40, another 40 years, there won't be unexplained infertility. Because yeah. I think in 40 years, they'd probably be able to tell us why we're not conceiving. Yeah. They just yeah. don't know yet. So, yeah, it's a bit yeah. frustrating. It's but then I tricky. know people who have got answers and they still can't fix it, you know? So That's always the hard thing, isn't it? It's the balance between not knowing and not knowing whether or not you'll be able to do anything about it or knowing and having something tangible to work with. But actually... Is it is it something that you can get a result from, or or is it actually going to make it work worse by knowing and um, and you know being able to I don't know look at all your levels and you become obsessed with with certain things going on, um, or do you just sort of naively go into it all saying oh well we'll just we'll just keep trying and um, and see what happens? It's mm. uh, it's a tricky one. Yeah, exactly. Gosh, so you are a year. So you're given unexplained infertility um, mm-hmm. and then did you start straight down the path of IVF? We got referred to a local fertility clinic and we had three rounds of IUI first, which okay. I was really pleased about because mentally I just wasn't ready for IVF. You know, this was, I, I'm one of four children, all mm-hmm. of my sisters have got children, you know, Bob's sister's got two children and 
this was all pretty, even though I, you know, I said we've got friends going through it. It was still actually like, this is happening to me. This is happening to us. It was, it was quite a lot to get my head around. So they felt like a bit of a stepping stone. So even though. Can you, um, can you just explain what um, IUI is? Absolutely. So it's um, interuterine insemination. So the way that I talk about it is like you get a turkey baster. This is exactly what people said to me. (laughs) You fill it with sperm. Turkey baster. (laughs) I know. Um, I don't. I'm not even sure. I know what. Well, I I do know what a turkey baster is. You're like. (laughs) I don't know if I've ever actually seen a turkey baster, but you know what I mean. Um, And I got scanned to see when I was ovulating, and what they do is they put the sperm in at the right time. So that hopefully it will fertilize um like and my egg yeah. kind of did you take medication so as well or were you were you I did not? I did it feels like a long time ago but no yeah. I did um I, I absolutely did for that so we did three of those and all of them were no's so they my also underst- they they wash the sperm as well don't they so it's only like the good stuff that goes back yes in. um absolutely. which I also find really hard when you look at the incredible numbers of the millions of sperm going in I'm like surely one of them can take <laughs> Honestly, you'd think, wouldn't you? For God's <laughs> sakes, lazy little buggers. <laughs> but um, yeah, like but we knew this, it was a long shot, but because mm-hmm. ours is unexplained, like yeah. maybe that was yeah, absolutely it's worth what trying. we needed. Yeah. Um, and I think it's and good then, as well that clinics do that and no, don't just go straight for the IVF. I think it's always worth worth trying, I suppose, um, instead of just like lunging straight in and then you never you know you never know like there's no harm in trying it's just sometimes frustrating having to go through a longer wait and and then when it doesn't work you have to deal with the battle with the feelings of oh did I just waste time there and yeah moving forward no you're right and I think it's a really valid point about clinics shouldn't necessarily like IVF isn't the be all and end all you know it's not the only answer there are all other alternatives depending on what your diagnosis is So I think that's a really valid point. Yeah. I'm so happy to say that this episode of Motherhood Exposed has been sponsored by my favourite baby shop in Dubai, Eggs and Soldiers. The parenting treasure trove on the ground floor of Times Square Centre and online at eggsandsoldiers.com. Launched in 2014 by lifelong UAE resident and mother of four, Sophie Chabowski, Eggs and Soldiers proudly researches, personally tests and cherry picks eco-aware, sustainable and locally sourced baby essentials and playtime equipment, plus the world's safest and most rigorously tested strollers and car seats. This is where you'll find honest advice about the best purchases for your baby, toddler and family's ever-changing needs, plus tips on what you can definitely do without. Check out eggsandsoldiers.com where you can live chat with the team and order with free speedy delivery throughout the UAE and across the Middle East. Not only that, but the lovely team at Eggs and Soldiers have given all Motherhood Exposed listeners a 10% discount code valid until November the 8th. So for online purchases, use Zoe CM10. Z-O-E-D-M-10. So three rounds of IUI. And then... Yep. And then we cracked on with the, with the, the big guns. The big guns. <laughs> And we were like, right, this is it. We're going to get pregnant. Our baby is, you know, nine months away. And we got So pregnant. how, how so long into brilliant. your fertility? Oh, gosh, great. Amazing. Yes. So how long into your fertility treatment are you here? So we started um, the August 2012. We did this round of IVF in the autumn of 2014. So a couple of years in. Gosh. At this point. Got pregnant. Um and we were like, done, brilliant. That's, that, amazing. that's what happens. You have IVF and you get pregnant. Unfortunately, we then went for our early scan 
and at eight weeks and we had a miscarriage so the embryo although the the pregnancy sac was there but the embryo had stopped growing pretty early um but I was still having kind of bloating I was still having some symptoms you know my body didn't realize so um and that was devastating because like I say we we were pregnant it was done Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. um it was the furthest thing from our minds that that was going to be the case oh, when we walked in for that scan. Wow. So, yeah, that was pretty devastating. And so how did you, I don't want to use the word recover from that, but how did, how did you move forward from that point? Because obviously you've already done a couple of years to get to that point. So where were you and Bob both kind of like emotionally and um, physically as well? Yeah, it was it was really hard. It was also Christmas, um, oh, so that was pretty yeah. hard. Like I, I, I like what had transpired the following year was we had another round and we miscarried again. And on the twenty third of December, both of those years, two thousand fourteen, two thousand fifteen, was the day that I was told that I was miscarrying. <laughs> so Christmas for us oh. those two years were pretty hideous. Um, and what happened? Like we were we, I guess. We'd just moved house and we had a building project that we were going to be working on. So we kind of threw everything into that a little bit, mm-hmm. but it did take its toll, particularly after after the first one. And then we had two frozen tra- transfers. So we had two embryos left over from our first round of IVF. Yeah. We transferred them the following summer, so t- summer 2015. Together or them, separately? No, separately. Yeah. Um, and neither of them worked. And at that point, do you know what? That's when everything really hit me. Yeah. Um, and I ended up leaving work because of it. I went off sick initially and then I left work because of it. I just was unraveling. I couldn't look after my team. You know, I just wasn't interested in their petty, which aren't petty, you know, but that's no. how I felt in that yeah. moment. I just couldn't deal with their issues as well as mine, you know. Um, and yeah, so I did. I left work that September. Uh, um and just went all guns blazing into our next round which as I mentioned a second ago um we got pregnant again um but we we did miscarry this time we were at a clinic where they test the your HCG level so Mm -hmm. your pregnancy hormone Mm -hmm. so we did know from day one basically that the level was quite low so they didn't you know they we were we kind of figured that it wasn't going to be a viable pregnancy Mm -hmm. very early on but um but we did continue to kind of scan and and have our tests and things. Um, That's that not that easy case, either, though, really. is it? Because you know, on paper you are pregnant, um, but it's it's perhaps not developing. But you never know; maybe it will. And that's a very tricky emotional state to be in as well, because you don't know whether to be excited or to be scared or to dis- discount it altogether. Um, you know, and what how you should be presenting it's, it's a really hard place to be. I think. Um, it was it was really hard because it was growing this is like this time you know we were monitoring it daily mm-hmm. pretty much or every second day and it was growing and i and they couldn't tell me whether or not it was going to be viable or not and i remember lying down on a scan table like legs open being scanned pretty much or just having been scanned and they were like we can't tell you and i was just like just give me an answer i just want to know 
whether or not, you know, this is, you know, if I'm going to miscarry, then just tell me, like, I just want to get it over and done with. And that time I did have, like, so that is what happened. And that time I did have it medically managed. The first time I stopped taking my medication mm-hmm. and, um, and I ended up miscarrying kind of naturally. Naturally, yeah. Um, yeah, which wasn't like, yeah, it was horrible, actually. And I wasn't prepared for it. They didn't give me any warning. They just said, stop the medication and come in after Christmas and we'll scan you again. And then we'll talk about what's happening. What happened was between Christmas and New Year, I ended up vomiting like really violently, diarrhea. Like I was just, I'm, I'm actually glad I knew that we were miscarrying because it was frightening enough as it was. If we hadn't been warned, that would have been like just even more frightening. Just mm-hmm. it was horrible. So we rushed to hospital, but the, and I ended up staying in overnight. Really? But the second time, I was like, Do you know what? I don't want to go through that. So I kept taking the drugs so that my body thought I was pregnant until I was able to go in and have it managed yeah. medically. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's absolutely nothing wrong with that at all. And mm. you know, even I've been a midwife for years, and even when I had my first miscarriage, I didn't know what to. I didn't realize the extent of it and how much I would bleed and how heavy it would be and how long it would go on for (laughs) Um, it's just something again that we don't talk about people don't speak about enough and it's um you know it's just oh dear she had a miscarriage but actually it's a it's a massive event it's huge and it hurts and it's um it hurts physically and emotionally and it's messy as well um Mm -hmm. and I think uh like for us in particular my husband got to see an awful lot of stuff I really don't think he needed to see in a way um it was very messy and so it yeah I think as as um you know as health professionals we need to get better to, of informing women of exactly what's going to be going on exactly what they're going to be experiencing um so people feel prepared because a bit of preparation makes all the difference doesn't it yeah absolutely gosh so you're you've miscarried for the second time it's Christmas <laughs> There was and a ha- lot of wine. Yeah, sure. <laughs> was it mould at least? <laughs> yes, probably. Wine. Do you know what it was? It was all sorts of all sorts of wine, <laughs> even in the chocolates. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and then, did you guys carry on, and did you take a break? We had to take a break at that point. Um, we really did. We just couldn't. I, I, we did. We'd lost who we were completely to all of this. Yeah. Um, the way that I kind of talk about it quite often is I opened my wardrobe and like, I just didn't know who I was. I didn't know, like none of the clothes fitted me because I'd put on weight from mm-hmm. drugs, from alcohol. But, you know, <laughs> oh, that sounds much more glam than it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like IVF medication yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then the alcohol when it didn't work. Um, so none of my clothes fitted me. I wasn't working, so I didn't want to go out and buy new clothes and I didn't want to dress this body anyway. I wasn't a mum. I wasn't working. I would move to the countryside. You know, I didn't know who I was and that complete lack of identity yeah. was reflected back at me. Yeah. Um, and my husband had changed jobs, which hadn't worked out. So he had ended up going back and consulting um, with his old firm, which was like not what he wanted to do yeah. at all. Like he was amazing that he went back and did that and kind of carried us financially through that. Um, but I really needed to find myself. And the first thing I did, because I didn't want to even get out of bed, to be honest. But the first thing I did, I used to love life drawing and I signed up to a life drawing class. And I was really lucky that Bob supported me through this. And so every Thursday it would be me going along to this life drawing class with a load of retirees (laughs) and just like 
chilling and and it was wonderful and you know if anyone is in that position for any reason I just like finding something for me it's like the true form of mindfulness you know because when and the reason I picked life drawing because when I'd done it a few years before I really had realized that I don't think about anything else when I'm drawing yeah and and so I thought, yeah, that's where I want to be. And I just focused on on the drawing and it was amazing. And and sometimes I even felt like not every week, I can tell you, um, but I even like felt talented. And it was a really nice reminder, you know, that I can do stuff. And, and you know, like I, I have got gifts and I am talented and everything is going to be OK. And and that started to help with my confidence again, because I was shot like mm-hmm. I really was. So my confidence was totally shot. Um, and then I did get a job um, somewhere that I could walk to, actually, in a bridal shop. So my background, I like, I is I used to be a lingerie buyer, and my degree is lingerie, uh, corsetry, um, swimwear, that kind of thing, contour wow. fashion. So there is a bit of a, it, it was a there's bit a connection. No, there's yeah, a connection. There's a loose sure. connection. Um, <laughs> but it was, I, you know, and I, I started walking there, and then I started eating better, and just just being in the shop, you know, like just to help with my confidence. And slowly but surely, I I did rebuild myself essentially. Um, well which done. was yeah, it took time, but it's it was hard. it was good, and came yeah. back bigger and stronger. Well actually littler but stronger (laughs) (laughs) so the keynote everyone needs to take out of that is draw naked people is that totally obviously just look at willies no (laughs) no no no. (laughs) well sometimes (laughs) you get sick of them with IVF although you don't get anyway (laughs) you don't get to see them no you really don't Oh, but anywho. you're gonna laugh <laughs> <laughs> and how are you and Bob as like a couple were you did you still feel together yeah we I'm really lucky with him you know he's just he's just fabulous he oh. really is and he was always of a mind that we will be fine you know whether or not we have children um obviously this has taken its toll on both of us in different ways mm-hmm. and something that I talk about and again I think this goes with all different situations that happen in life. Um, he supported me so much, right? You know, like when we were in right in the midst of IVF or the miscarriages and things. But then what happened was once I felt stronger, that's when he kind of fell apart. And I remember the first time that happened, just being like, hang on a minute, we're over this. You know, we're ready to move forward. Yeah. What's what's going on? And it wasn't until someone pointed it out to me that yeah, like he was looking after me. So he seemed fine. And then once I was okay, that was his opportunity to kind of deal with everything. Um, and I think we've learned so much about each other going through all of this. And that's kind of just one of them. Um, and yeah, the other thing is he doesn't like change and I love it. I thrive on change. Oh, really? um, yeah. <laughs> he hates it. <laughs> so, you know, like, yeah, we just know each other a lot better than we we would have done, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've got through it and that's amazing. And I think that, yeah. It wow, is amazing. I picked pick the right one, you know, Aww. that's the thing. So Yay, it's not Bob. easy. <laughs> Yay for Bob. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like we still have our tests. Lockdown was a test. Oh you know, gosh, but, wasn't um, it for everyone? <laughs> I know, exactly. But no, no, he's, he's fabulous. Oh. That's amazing. I know that wasn't the question. I forgot no, what was. the question was. Sorry. No, it was. Oh, was it? Okay, good for you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So we love Bob. That's good. We do. <laughs> <laughs> and so had you at this point, so you, you had no more frozen eggs 
We Is didn't. Right? No, oh, no. We only got um, the Frozen the first time round. So then we ended up. So we took a break, which we thought was going to be a year, and actually ended up being closer to two, really. Wow. And like we were not spring chickens at this stage. So I would have been going into round three fresh IVF. I was thirty nine. And did were um, you able to um, within those two years stop thinking about it? I don't know if you ever stop thinking about it, really. You know, I I know when I ovulate. Mm-hmm. And so you do still think maybe this might, oh, maybe yeah. this will be yeah. our, you know, exactly. oh, we stopped thinking about it, but you didn't really stop thinking about it because you know when you ovulate and, you know, like, so yeah, no, is the truth. Not at all. And, okay. but what we did manage to do was focus on ourselves and work out who we were and, realize and start I think accepting the idea that we might not have children and so it wasn't the only thing you thought about anymore you yeah had yeah things. yeah absolutely that's key I guess mm. sorry so you're about to start round three yeah. yes so we went into round three um and which was like at that point I was starting to get involved in the trying to conceive community on Instagram <laughs> and I was in the best place I could have been doing that round. It was just brilliant. In my two week wait, I was on stage talking to like loads of people from the amazing community next to people from the community. It was just, it was just an amazing period of my life as far as the trying to conceive community um, goes. And if anyone is trying, you know, for your first, your second, your third, your fifth child out there who's listening, um, I highly recommend Instagram. Um, the trying to conceive community or TTC community over there is phenomenal. It really is. Unfortunately, however, they can't get you pregnant. <laughs> so that round was a BFN, a big fat negative, um, which do you know what? In a way, it was that was easier for me at that moment than a miscarriage again. You know, it was kind of it was done. It was the most shocking one because I had always got pregnant from fresh cycles of IVF. Um, You know, the two that I'd done before I had got pregnant. So I was pretty confident I was going to get pregnant. So I remember getting that um, seeing that negative test. And I was I was flawed. I really was. and and we had said three rounds and we were out so then we had to sit down and have the conversation about is that it or, did you have or... did you take frozen eggs from from that cycle no no oh, no, no. Wow. we just had two day threeers so they weren't even like they weren't blastocysts which is a day five yeah. um they were yeah they weren't the most amazing quality um that was all we had and we kind of took that as a, a sign of you know us getting older that kind of thing so Mm, things weren't looking great oh so what made you choose to go again we went to see a private gynecologist who was someone that my aunt had worked with um and she'd been saying to me for the previous 18 months please go and see him I'm going to pay for the consultation etc we went to see him and he we just both really liked him to be honest he was very direct he was very honest Mm -hmm. and I'm paraphrasing here but he said you've got one more round in you and then you're done um you need to move to donor eggs after that you know if you still want to proceed with the IVF route uh I was 40 coming up 40 so this is kind of April time and I was going to be 40 in the September and we just thought sod it let's do one for luck so yeah which we did and 
and um, we got two day five blast assists. So one wow. we put in and one we have still got in the freezer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But obviously it didn't stop there, the complexities, because it just doesn't. No. Um, because we, we had our single embryo transfer, got pregnant was very anxious, went to the early pregnancy unit to have an early scan, so earlier than the fertility scan, uh, the fertility clinic one. So So this is about six weeks or something? About six weeks, yeah. Yeah. Crying, getting onto the table. Um, We'd done a pregnancy test before we were, you know, kind of had gone in for the actual scan. Yeah. Um, And so we kind of knew we were still pregnant, although that's HCG level, Mm -hmm. so you kind of, you know, was never a guarantee. Um, lay down crying like I say and they said oh yeah here's your heartbeat um we were like oh my god like just more tears more tears Aww. and then and that was our first ever heartbeat we've ever seen and then they said oh here's another heartbeat <laughs> and we were like what <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my god the shock was like nothing else like it really we had not because especially like I say because we'd had a single embryo transfer yeah yeah we had not considered that for a moment I'd love to know Um, the stats on that yeah I'm not sure that it's not very (laughs) high common yeah (laughs) incredible (laughs) um and yeah, so our spont or not spont? No, I suppose it isn't very spontaneous identical twins, is it? Because it's IVF. But um, yeah, so oh, our yeah. our identical twins, because um, obviously there's quite a lot of twins mm-hmm. from IVF. Yeah. Like that's kind of more normal because you put two embryos yeah. in quite often, mm-hmm. and both of them take. But this was identical twins. Um, however, sadly, um, even though. They were. The, we kept being told they were the safest form of twins because they both had their own placentas. They both had their own amniotic sacs. Um, but between week nine and ten, twin A stopped um, developing, unfortunately. So we lost her. That's which so was, yeah, it was just once again like, and this is one of the things. Um, like you just like uh, people sometimes say, I'd never thought about that. Like, and I've said it in this interview even. And you just don't until you get there. And there's no point. But why would you think about that? (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And you know what? Just um, I watched The Last Dance. I don't know if you've seen it, the Michael Jordan um, series. Oh, my God. It's amazing. I love it. Um, But he said about how, because someone was saying how he lives in the moment. And that's one of his, like, amazing skills. He's able to live in the moment. And he said, like, why would you, why would I worry about a basket that I haven't even taken yet? Mm -hmm. And you're like, wow, you know, that's so true. Like, why would we worry about something? And so, you know, we don't know what we're going to come up against when these things happen. Um, But I do think in this instance, that's a good thing. Like, otherwise we would just be stressing ourselves out so much. However, found in this position where ultimately I've got a miscarriage and I've got a healthy baby all at the same time growing like inside me and that was the most complex set of emotions head must have been blown to also to have gone into that scan thinking that there was you know probably thinking there wasn't a baby come out with two and then a few weeks later to find that one one hasn't hasn't thrived and exactly I know. And it taken us a good because we hadn't we told everyone that we were pregnant and everything and um and that was all fine. But we hadn't told anyone for two weeks that we were expecting twins. We okay. just because it really did take us a while to get our heads around that. It was a wonderful shock. Mm-hmm. 
but it's kind of like is our car big enough is our house big enough you know like what does that look like in childcare? like going back to work at the far end and you know you kind of cover a lot of ground well I think that's it isn't it as soon as you conceive you know even if you've had multiple miscarriages you still you still race ahead to that that baby being born and planning mm-hmm. ahead and thinking about holidays and school and everything so it's so natural that you you did that and it was starting to worry about everything because obviously with twins it's it's everything's that much more bigger and more expensive and um, exactly so did you then go on and tell people that you'd, you'd lost so we told um my family well our families <coughs> excuse me that um that we were expecting twins and that was like that was amazing it really was like showing them the the little footage of their heartbeats and stuff that was like one of the most joyous moments of my entire life it was just Aww. incredible um but then we, and so then when we lost one of them, we had obviously then told our family. And I suspect we might have, t- I don't even know if we told our close friends at that point, but then we did share kind of to the, because what we, what we thought was that we'd wait until 12 weeks and it was our little secret. And it was, you know, because you're robbed of so much when you have um, fertility treatment, mm-hmm. if you're if you're public about it, you know, mm-hmm. if you tell your friends and family about it and things. And we just thought this is going to be our surprise. This is going to be our announcement. Yeah. Like, you know, everyone knows we're pregnant, but ta-da, it's yeah. twins. Um, and so, but we did, once we had kind of dealt with it initially anyway, ourselves, we did share that with a wider audience as well. And so many people came to me and said, yeah, like we've been through this. And what was really lovely was that someone came to me who was the surviving twin you know, kind of oh, all those wow. years ago. Because one of my things was, you know, because you hear when people lose a twin, like it's like losing a limb and, you know, yeah. they have such a close bond and especially because they were identical. And I do feel a bit silly even saying this now, but I was thinking, gosh, you know, is the other twin going to feel lonely, you know, kind of almost for the rest of their life? Are they going to know? Um, and yeah, someone who came to me who is the surviving twin and said that, you know, it had never affected them. And and that was just really, really comforting for me to hear. I have That's to say. That's really amazing. So, yeah. Mm. And and how did you feel about the, the pregnancy? Were you concerned that it was going to have an impact on, on your actual pregnancy, like moving forward and things? Well, to be honest, having lost the twin, it was now a singleton pregnancy, which is lower risk. Mm-hmm. So like the doctors and things were kind of happier, yeah. not obviously that I'd lost, you know, one no. of the twins, but, um, but they, 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 you know, it was a safer, healthier mm-hmm. pregnancy because, it, you know, being a singleton. So um, I did, continue to have a lot of scans like what it did do is it knocked me back so I was just starting to get confident and we were talking I think before even you press record about you know kind of losing trust in our bodies and when you're going through all of this and and I think I was just about getting you know kind of as confident as I could be in the pregnancy and that just knocked me back unfortunately um and so then I had to build up that confidence again again. which you know yeah. And like we had a lot of scans, you know, in our first 16 weeks, we probably had 10 scans. Um, and but then my bump started to show and then around 18 weeks um, and obviously it varies. But I think for us, it was around 18 weeks. We started to feel kicking, you know, so slowly but surely. Yeah, um, it helps, doesn't it? More yeah. Do you think you'll, yeah, sure. think you'll ever tell Ren about the twin, her twin? It's a really difficult one because we have had that conversation, Bob and I, and because of the work that I do, I talk about it. So, and you know, like it's all digital now. So I suspect that she, she will, you know, she will know. So there's almost no point in giving, keeping it secret. And I was talking to someone recently 
about, um, you know, like how you share news and how you tell people things. And, and it almost, my perspective now is that I almost, it needs to be the normal, you know, rather than in like when she's 10 years old or 15 years old, that kind of thing, sitting her down and telling her, it kind of needs to be just part of the general conversation. Mm -hmm. So, um, that I can't imagine her not knowing, but I don't, yeah, I don't quite know what that looks like, if you know what I mean. Like she's, she's still 15. she's still very young, isn't she? Yeah, yeah she's so. 15 months at the moment. So, yeah, I just, although it's amazing, like not like that, but it's so amazing how much they know. The other day I, we, <laughs> we were at my mother-in-law's house and she was reading The Hungry Caterpillar, which, you know, lots of people know that book and it's got the pages with the little holes in. Yeah. And I said, oh, can you put your fingers in the holes? And she did it. Aww. And I was like, oh my god you do know so much more than I think you do (laughs) like they just understand so much don't they they do they're like little little sponges yes exactly exactly (laughs) so the rest of the pregnancy how did that go it was it was it was wonderful and really difficult like I didn't I couldn't buy any maternity genes until I got to 12 weeks I just you know there's this whole jinxing the pregnancy thing um I was I couldn't wait for um to get to 24 weeks to get to, get to viability. viability. The other thing about the twin situation was that we couldn't have a harmony tests or anything and that was something we definitely wanted to do. Yeah. Um but it, it and I I don't really understand why especially because they were identical twins but I I did get kind of a few opinions on this and for some reason because one of the twins has been lost the 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 results that you get aren't they can't be relied upon yeah um and so we couldn't do that so when we were 18 weeks we did go in with the thought that we might have um an amnio um amniocentesis that's Mm -hmm. it isn't it um and so which when they check and kind of they kind of go into the the amniotic fluids yeah yeah and we went in we'd done a lot of research we went in thinking that we were definitely going to do it and as soon as we saw the scan in front of us we just thought we can't uh, we really couldn't and the doctor who is like one of the top doctors at our hospital he's amazing he did a really really thorough um scan for us and everything looked okay and we just we were in love with her already you know so yeah. we couldn't we couldn't risk it's like one in a hundred um and we just we'd got too far we couldn't risk that so um so yeah so then and the rest of the pregnancy I just I loved it I loved being pregnant and I made the most of it as much as I could it's really hard when you are infertile and pregnant because people think you're pregnant problem solved done and it isn't that straightforward going to um pregnancy yoga you know like this is stuff that I've wanted to do for years and I walked in there and I just felt really alone because everyone's really goddamn fertile, which is amazing <laughs> for them. Pregnant, don't get yeah. me wrong. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and I just, I didn't feel like I belonged still, even though I was pregnant. Um, so things like that were really hard. Um, and then as I got towards the end of my pregnancy, I just, yeah, I started to worry, you know, cause we'd come so far. Yeah. Um, and I just couldn't wait to hold her like happy and healthy in my arms. I was just counting down the days, which, you know, I'm sure that happens with many, many people. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and I'd had quite a lot of stress work had been, I'd ended up going off sick with work because of a few kind of situations and 
I just thought, you know what? Like, actually, my doctor said it to me. He was like, every time you feel guilty, just look down at your bump, you know, and remember why you are just yeah. looking after yourself, you know, because you are now a mum and this is your advice. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So It's um, crazy, though, isn't it, that um, it's always the running theme of guilt between with mums and you haven't even had her yet and you're already feeling guilty. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, but I did, I went back and saw a counsellor. So throughout all of my fertility journey, I've kind of seen counsellors and things. Um, and I went back and saw a counsellor and because something that comes up a lot with fertility pregnancies is that there's a link potentially to, um, a fertility pregnancy and postnatal depression. And like my take on that is because you've got so much tied up with the fertility treatment and and all of that grief um from it not working and and mm-hmm. you know, like all of the stress and that you haven't dealt with because it's hard to deal with things in the moment and then you get a positive pregnancy test so then you're focused on that pregnancy which again is really stressful potentially and you know you kind of just can't can't almost open yourself up to everything that's gone on before yeah so like I have heard people say that you know they didn't even deal with the fact that they got a positive pregnancy test until the baby was here Amazing. you know yeah. so then you're dealing with all of the baby stuff like the actual baby being here and the sleep deprivation and the feeding and all of those complexities so so I made the decision to see a counsellor towards the end of my pregnancy because of stuff that was going on. Yeah. And it was the best thing I ever did. Oh, and good. even simply because I had the conversation about postnatal depression and she turned around to me and said, you know, that not everyone gets postnatal depression. And I really needed to hear that, mm-hmm. you know, and because and what I'd done is I'd almost said it to so many people around me so that they could all look out for it and almost prepare for it and and be there to you know kind of to check in on me mm-hmm. but hearing that made me kind of think oh yeah okay good so this doesn't have to happen yeah however I'm really pleased that I had kind of put a lot of support in place just in case you know absolutely I also um I don't know if this is right but I also think that because having a having a baby's hard it's it's hard work it's like they don't do what you want them to do and they um you know and you're up all night and you haven't slept and and I think I always also wonder if that plays a part on postnatal depression as well because if you've gone through a long fertility treatment and really wanted this child and then to find it really difficult and to get a bit annoyed with them sometimes and um to not be enjoying every single second can then turn itself on its head and make you feel like a terrible person and a bad mother and I should be really happy and I I can't tell anyone I'm not enjoying all of this and and I think that also can become a vicious cycle and I think that needs to be talked about more that um just because it's been fertility treatment and just because you've been through this doesn't mean you have to love every single second of being a mother because that's just not realistic in any any sense that's yeah, my take anyway <laughs> no 100% and I'm right there with you is like because it you know I was having this conversation with someone just yesterday funny enough um and I have put it on my Instagram before like it's it's and not all so exactly mm-hmm. like that you can love them and you can be really pissed off because they're not sleeping you yes, know? Absolutely. <laughs> like it does it's not one or the other like there are a lot of emotions that come with having a baby and and it is really bloody hard and the sleep deprivation just skews everything doesn't it you know like there's a reason it's a form of torture it's just <laughs> it, it really stuff that you could normally bat off without a blink of the eye you know and it just piles up and just gets really hard so yeah 
having support. I'm going to guess you had a lot of that with Ren. (laughs) You sound like you're speaking from experience. (laughs) (laughs) There was a fair amount of it. There was a fair (laughs) amount of it. Although like I have to say like, and I do, you know, she's a baby. So, you know, babies cry, babies don't sleep sometimes, that kind of thing. But overall, we we have been pretty lucky, I have to say, she says, rubbing her wooden desk. Yes, (laughs) giving it a complete bear hug. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. But yeah, no, you know, you don't necessarily sleep or or you do, but in a different way than you did before. So uh, I think always with one eye open, isn't it? Yes. So how did her birth go? Her birth was um, overall wonderful. The first, I went in for an induction at 39 weeks and the induction process was really hard um, mentally because the hospital I'm at had a shortage of beds. They're kind of, it's a big hospital. It's Adam Brooks Mm -hmm. and Cambridge um, in the UK. And they take in kind of, you know, severe cases or, you know, the kind of more difficult cases from lots of different yeah that's the word I'm looking for seriously thanks for you um cases from a wider area um so there there weren't a lot of beds and so the the induction essentially stopped and started and stopped and started and stopped and started between Wednesday and Sunday on Saturday night did you stay in the whole time or were you sent home yeah I did because we could we didn't want to let the bed go because you know like we didn't know when we'd get back in if that were the Mm -hmm. case um so and, in terms of it had, stopping and starting, they'd, they'd put... Uh, so I, I had the pessary and and then, so I, I can't remember exactly, is that for six hours, maybe the first one? Yeah. And then I went on to have the second one, but then the third one, they were like, hang on a minute, we can't let you progress anymore. Oh, like As it was, I was barely progressing anyway, to Fine. be perfectly honest. But I remember the Saturday, well, it would be the Sunday morning at like 2am, I went to the desk and I was just in tears. I was a wreck. I really, I was just so tired Mm -hmm. like I just hadn't prepared myself for this bit and it being so hard emotionally Mm -hmm. um I was just yeah I just wanted to get on with it and so the next day we ended up um so they did continue with it again and they decided that my um they were going to break my waters. It's an ARM, isn't it? Yeah, artificial um, membranes. That's the one. Um, <laughs> and so they said that because I was two centimeters, I think by that stage. So oh, I'm like, I think I was, I think I was barely two centimeters. Like I don't know, but um, so they did. They had to get a doctor to do it. The midwife couldn't do it. Um, they had to get a doctor to do it. I was dreading that. I was like oh my God, because they come in with like this knitting needle type thing. It was totally fine. It was a bit uncomfortable, but the thought I think was a lot worse than actually it, like it didn't hurt or anything. Um, And so I was in the delivery suite by that stage. This is Sunday afternoon. So just to confirm, you went in on Wednesday. Went in on Wednesday, And yes. you went in on Sunday. And, I think and then I went into the delivery in suite on Sunday. It's a, just a really important message to get across because I don't think people realise um, all the time that inductions that it doesn't mean you go in and you have your baby that day that it is no. a long process and I'm always trying to tell people like take magazines take your iPad take entertainment take all the food because it, it's going to be a stay it's going to be you're going to be there a few days changes of clothes that type of thing remember your deodorant yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely like Bob could go back and forth so that was all good um good. but yeah I hadn't and it was quite stressful I think because what we had said is that um I wanted to try for a vaginal birth, but mm-hmm. I was happy to have um, a C-section if that's what happened. And what I didn't want was to be actually in this situation for ages. Um, 
And I'd said, you know, like, can we have, or they, I think their language was that I'd have a low threshold for C-section. And so we decided kind of 48 hours. However, because it was stopping and starting because of the bed situation, et cetera, et cetera. When it came to that, they were like, oh no, 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 we can't because it will book you in for like next week. And it was a real, it was a bit of a, it was really stressful because they were going to, originally they were going to take me in for a C-section on at 39 weeks, which Mm -hmm. was the Wednesday, or I was going to be induced from the Wednesday. So each day that ticked by, I was thinking, well, actually I should have had, you know, my baby on the Wednesday by C-section. So why are you letting me carry on? You know, is this because of your age that they're doing this? Yeah. 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 And because it was IVF, you know, like, and I think unfortunately where that's concerned, I think that completely depends on what doctor you see, certainly what hospital you're at. I think that, you know, different ones have different opinions. It's the same with the whole being consultant led or midwife led, Um, And I think being consultant led as a fertility patient, I think I can probably say quite widely that people want to be consultant led because you feel like, you know, you get more care and attention and and that kind of thing. However, like what you kind of don't because that, you know, I could think that can add to the stress of it. And hopefully you've got a healthy pregnancy. And so being kind of with the midwives is exactly where you should be rather than. Um, and I know I like mine was different because it was multiple originally I was consultant led because of that situation Um, but I don't necessarily feel like being IVF is is a reason to be consultant led however what I would say is that and I you know I'd say this knowing that you're a midwife you know I think that the that midwives need more training about fertility um, pregnancies. I'd agree. Um, and I have yeah. done that before. I've spoken mm-hmm. at midwife colleges. One of my sisters is a midwife, oh. um, kind of about the care, the handover of care from fertility clinic to um, NHS carer here in the UK mm-hmm. because they are more anxious pregnancies. It is really hard. Um, and I think sometimes just having that nod of validation of understanding is you know, it goes a long way yeah. to, to helping that or helping. No, I'd that. agree as um, before I went through my own experience, I don't think I fully appreciated the extent of what you go through to get that pregnancy um, mm. because it's, it's all consuming, isn't it? It's completely all consuming. So no, I think that's a very valid point. Um, anyone listening? <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. We'll do what we can. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, but so so we went in on the Wednesday, finally went over to the delivery suite on the Sunday, had the most wonderful midwife. She was fabulous, Stacey. She got us through that night. I had, um, I was on the TENS machine. I had the gas and air. I, um, I hadn't wanted to have an epidural because of a story that had stuck with me for 25 years, which I'm not going to share here because sometimes you just think, exactly, I know. Um, But what Stacey said to me was, let's get the anaesthetist in to have a conversation with you about it so that you understand what it is, what the process is, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And then if you did change your mind, and I was like, that's fine, because this isn't, it wasn't a bravery thing that I was like, I can take the pain. This was a fear thing because of this 25-year-old story. Um, and I got through as far as I could. And I was like, do you know what? I need that epidural. I've just got to do it. And also I, I was fearful, well, not fearful, but I was conscious of the fact that the closer your contractions get together, the harder it is to do. So mm-hmm. I, you know, you kind of need to balance that, don't yeah. you, when you're actually going to have it, if you're going to. 
So I decided, I think, what time was it? About 1am or so that I was going to have um, an epidural and about three, four hours later, I had it <laughs> because, oh, yeah, <laughs> because um, the anaesthetist was in surgery, which I had been warned oh. might happen. So, um, yeah, I, I absolutely pained that gas and air machine wow. <laughs> and the tense machine. I was on all of it thinking, when am I going to get this? Oh, God that's so hard when you finally made the decision to do it. <laughs> and so, so that was, that was pretty hard, but do you know what? The things that got me through that were the contractions are short lived. You know, they are like, and people say this, I've heard people say this for years and years and years, like it's the most painful thing I've ever been through, but yes, I would do it again tomorrow. Mm -hmm. But you can't necessarily remember how it could have been so painful, even though when you're in that moment, it is the most painful thing. But I did every time I was going through a contraction, and I'm sure I'm not alone in saying this, you know, you know that it's got a shelf life you know that it's only going to last so many kind of seconds or minutes, that kind of thing. And then you're going to have a bit of a break. Um, and so I just kind of got through them one at a time. Um, and then... Come I think give yourself some credit for that. That's actually a really amazing thing to be able to think during as you're actually going through it, because I think more, more so women feel like it's, it's never going to end and it is it's constant and actually to be able to focus on them one at a time like that is really good you should um just say go you for that next oh, thanks, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um and so so everything went well and then what happened it was about six o'clock so I think Stacy left our midwife and she had I know I was gutted um and she had said judging by where I was so I think I was about six centimetres or so about four centimetres I can't even remember now um and she said I'd probably have Ren um that afternoon early evening however nine o'clock I suddenly my mid the next midwife checked and I was 10 centimetres dilated yeah all of a sudden and they were like and it did feel somewhat hectic when this happened um a doctor came in and checked me and confirmed it but then also told us that um, Ren was not the right position for a vaginal birth, but she was too far down the birth canal for a C-section. So, and honestly, what my husband and I both heard in that moment was, it's, hit, it's her or me. Because, oh, like, wow. And, and, and that, they did not say that no. in any way perform and I like to think that I'm not a particularly dramatic person but that is how that is what I heard because if they can't get them out if they couldn't get her out vaginally they couldn't get her out by c-section I was like they're just going to have to cut me open entirely oh, <laughs> like you know cat. bearing in mind I am like exhausted and but you know and I just I remember like so they told me where they were going to take us to theatre I just started shaking violently I just was I was in shock completely at that point and it had been so lovely oh. all the way through I really loved it genuinely um well, and you probably that felt like was, you were going to be sacrificed or something. <laughs> kind of, honestly, yeah, that's probably a really good word for it. Um, but when we got to the theatre, one of the things I just think is amazing, every single person in that theatre came over and introduced themselves and told me what their job was. And I really remember that so vividly and just being so impressed that they, like, obviously I 
didn't know any of them <laughs> or, or couldn't tell you any of the information back. But I just found that really amazing as me as like a vulnerable individual in that situation. And they all took the time to come and kind of look me in the eye and tell me who they were and how they were going to help. And that was that was incredible. And if that is you listening out there, kind of yeah, that's well your job. Well done like, to that team. That's, yeah, it's a really that is amazing gold standard, thing. That is, that's good. 100% it is. Um, and they prepped me for a C-section um, and just in case that was going to happen. But what they did in the end was used a Kiwi cup, which mm-hmm. I looked up afterwards and couldn't find anything about. But uh, Von Toos, like is hooked up to a machine, essentially. Yep. A Kiwi cup is a similar just thing. A little handheld. Yeah, yeah, but like a hand pump. And so they um, twisted her with that. And I did, I think, did I go through two contractions maybe when I was kind of on in the theatre? Um, I had a little episiotomy and then she was out. And wow. it was just, oh, I've got a picture of her, like literally she'd been rugby balled, <laughs> thrown onto my chest and the umbilical cord still attached. And just like, that is, I love that picture so much. Like I have got every single emotion you could ever imagine oh, who took the face. picture bob did like the midwife was like what are you doing looking wow. get your camera out <laughs> and so and so, yeah i like i wish that i had had um a photographer yeah. actually through the whole thing like yeah. it wasn't something i'd ever been aware that you could do you know again you kind of don't necessarily know about stuff and i was so focused on just having the baby i hadn't looked around at you know kind of all the fun stuff almost you could do um around it but yeah that picture is and I know I've seen many of those pictures from other people you know like it doesn't matter what your journey to have a baby you know that all it is all the emotions but, and, yeah. yeah yeah but just every single everything that we had been through um was on my face at that moment and Aww. it was just oh she's just the best she really and was is. she did you know she was going to be Ren did you always have that name? yeah yeah, we did actually. It was the one that so a friend of mine, it, her niece is Ren. Um, and as soon as I heard it a few years ago, I was like, Oh, I love that. Um, and we we had a few others on the list, but I think that yeah, we kind of we kind of knew she was gonna be Ren pretty much. So yeah. Gosh. So what were those first sort of 24 hours like? They were, so we did have a bit of a scare actually. And I do, like, I felt almost a bit embarrassed sharing this. And I did share this on my own podcast when I did her birth story kind of in lots of detail. But I think it is really important to share. Um, I was really, really keen to breastfeed. Like that was 100%. If I couldn't do it, I couldn't do it. Um, And interestingly, I'm the first person in my family kind of a in my generation to have a vaginal birth and the first one to breastfeed or the only one to breastfeed. Um, which I don't know whether it's all to do with the IVF, like because none of them had fertility journeys. But um, but I would really, really wanted to breastfeed. And when so we had the skin to skin initially, then we were moved into recovery. Um, and I tried in the like you know the kind of classic mm-hmm. position of the baby in the crook of your arm, and you know, and I had been to the breastfeeding classes. I had interviewed someone for my podcast about breastfeeding. I felt quite genned up on it. Um, a midwife was stood next to me. I, I didn't like this midwife quite so much. She wasn't quite as good, sadly. <laughs> my, the one that was with us through the night was amazing. This one, not so much. Um, but I think she was kind of just didn't have lots of experience, bless her. Um, she didn't do anything wrong necessarily. Mm-hmm. But what I hadn't really, like ultimately, I ended up pretty much suffocating Ren. 
um, and because of the way I was holding her and just, you know, I should have been laid back with her just almost just laid on top of me so that she could look round and, and find my nipple. Um, and yeah, and, and she went ashen Oh, and gosh. they had to um, rush her to, you know, one of the kind of little kind of incubator tables. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and that in itself, like as much as it was really like, oh, my God, like I can't even it just makes me go cold at the thought of anything going wrong at that stage. Um, it's, you know, and, and not especially, but like something I had done as well. Um, but again, the doctors were amazing because they like all rush. The alarm goes off. They all rush. And then you just hear this trickle of like whether it's the mum or the baby and then the ones that aren't needed kind of disappear off, you know. And so it was the peds that stayed like I was fine um, and she was brought back to her and she was to us rather and she was all fine. But I just think it's really important for people again to hear that, you know, because mm-hmm. I, I didn't know I was doing something that I shouldn't or you know there's a better way of doing it a safer mm-hmm. way of doing it um the breastfeeding was really hard not only in the first 24 hours but for the first two weeks Ren wasn't putting on a lot of enough weight um she lost about 11 of her body weight in the first kind of week or so so it was really stressful and I went through about three different maternity like they were kind of health visitors straight midwife straight maternity workers I don't know what the difference like the technical differences are between them all necessarily but we came across the most amazing maternity worker and she had the same problem that I did which was that I was over engorged like it was just and what she described was um if you blow up a balloon to full capacity and try and put your mouth around it, you can't, it's too full. And that's mm-hmm. what Ren was getting from me because mm-hmm. I was just over engorged. It's like you and can so she, slip off it. Exactly. Yeah. And so she taught me about kind of getting rid of the letdown and, you know, kind of just getting rid of some of the milk so that actually, again, with the balloon analogy, kind of letting some down, then suddenly you can actually get hold of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah. And so, and, but we did have to, um, bead Ren with a bottle which I when the health visitor left I burst into tears I was like I'm such a failure why isn't this working and all of that and um and I told myself before I had her look if we end up formula bottle feeding this is fine as long as she's happy and healthy that's the important thing um but when you're in the moment like I was just gutted because I was worried about nipple confusion and all of that long run totally fine the fact she took a bottle was actually brilliant <laughs> you know <laughs> is the truth um so I breastfed her predominantly once we got sorted and it does just well it did for us just click which is what everyone told me would happen eventually um but it's kind of a different time for everyone else but yeah I did I did pretty much exclusively breastfeed her but then she did have some bottles and yeah. I work for myself so that meant that I could kind of you know three months when she was three months old I went out for an event from 6 a.m and I didn't get home till 9 p.m you know and Bob could look after her with a bottle you had the energy to do that well well I kind of just needed to turn well yeah yeah it was hard but it was amazing like what I do is support the trying to conceive community and those who people who are finally pregnant and parenting so I, I wouldn't have given up that time for many people but the community is just incredible and mm-hmm. I I did love it I really enjoyed it so um yeah it was it was a good place to go and what we haven't spoken about is the fact you started your podcast right at the end of your pregnancy like where you had the energy to do that I have no idea all the headspace or anything 
Yeah, I know. It was a funny one, really. But so many people have come to me um, and said, like, where is the support when you are finally pregnant? Because you are anxious, you are worried, you, you know, if you've been through loss before, you know, you're worried that the same thing's going to happen before or, or again, rather, if you've been through fertility treatment, you know, you've put so much into this, this isn't a roll in the hay and then mm-hmm. bang, you're pregnant. Like you have put years probably into this. Um, and and there wasn't any support for people who were finally pregnant that I could see. And I, I knew a few people who had podcasts and basically I just called around and said, how do you do this? And fortunately, my husband has got some recording equipment and things, although you don't necessarily need that um, if you just kind of. But yeah, and and I I actually really loved it. And I was so organised. So in the last six weeks of my pregnancy, I think you just, it's with the, like with the whole nesting thing, you just, you know that you've got a, 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 a limit, a t- you know, like a time yeah, limit. Yeah. So you just get, can I swear? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I had them scheduled. So my podcast is called finally pregnant for people who are finally pregnant after infertility and loss but I had um sorry a little plug there no um, go for it I, I was gonna had... say do that at the end you can do it again <laughs> <laughs> um I had them scheduled for the day I went in for my induction a week later and the following week and then afterwards I kind of did them myself um but I had all the interviews recorded you know and it was it was just it came together really easy, easy actually. But you know what was really hard? The second series, once Ren was here, yeah, that I found really hard. I've still got an interview that I recorded last October, so almost a year ago. That hasn't made it out oh, no. because I, I I started recording them quite early on after she was born, kind of three or four months after she was born. And then, but I didn't go live with the next series until January 2020. And then I thought, oh, do you know what? I can't do this every week because it's a lot of work that goes into them, you know, yeah. and it takes a lot of time. Mm-hmm. So I did them every second week. But then because of COVID and Ren had started nursery in January, which is like a whole nother conversation because I was <laughs> had so much guilt about her starting oh. nursery. Like I was like, I've had, took seven years to have her and now I'm putting her into nursery at seven months. But because I work for myself, it kind of just gave me that little bit yeah. of headspace and actually was brilliant because it meant that, I wasn't thinking, shh, go to sleep, go to sleep. I've yep. got to do some work. Mm-hmm. I had my work time and I have her time. We can't do everything. Exactly, exactly. And I did enjoy, you know, like I will say, I did enjoy the space to kind of get on with the, with me kind mm-hmm. of thing. So, um, but anyway, yeah, so the podcast has been, it, 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 it has been harder <laughs> since having her. It well, was actually a harder, breeze. Isn't it? <laughs> well, yeah, it was a breeze, the first series before she arrived. But yeah, the second series is kind of an ongoing, yeah, kind of beast. <laughs> and tell me about the hangout. So the hangout. So while I was on maternity leave esque, um, I realised like the feedback for the podcast has been so amazing, really, really positive. And my Instagram feed slowly but surely became more about pregnancy and parenting rather than the TTC. Although obviously I'm a huge advocate for the trying to conceive community mm-hmm. and still do kind of some stuff there and um but also with my business cat and alice so the instagram for that is it's cat and alice that's where i predominantly do the trying to conceive support um but while i was thinking about all the finally pregnant stuff lots of people were saying that they love the podcast and i was like i want to do more this like people need a space that they can 
share their anxieties without feeling guilty because what happens is you don't want to share the stuff with people who are still trying because you feel guilty because you are pregnant the guilt yeah. comes back again because you are pregnant and they're still trying so you don't want to moan you don't want to complain you don't want to you also don't necessarily want to celebrate because you're worried that you're kind of rubbing it in people's faces and it, this all might sound really like oh my god people are so sensitive to people who aren't in the community but when you you're there and you you've been there and you know how hard it is you don't want to put that on someone else um and so I created The Hangout, which is a community. It's kind of like a membership thing you join. Um, and you, you've you got a space there where you can moan, complain, you know, worry, celebrate, share, just, you know, like with people who who get it and who understand. And, and it's a really safe place. And we also have three support groups a month. Um, so one, I have a guest speaker talk about anything from nutrition to um, work you know kind of going on maternity leave and returning to work we had someone speak this month um lots of different things which are recorded so whenever you join you can listen to the recording kind of previous sessions um and then we also have a finally parenting support group and a finally pregnant support group each month which is an opportunity just to all get on a zoom call um and check in and see how everyone's doing That's and amazing yeah it's just the most amazing community i'm so proud that i'm and, and i feel really lucky that i'm the person that's kind of pulled this together because the women and it has i didn't stipulate that it was women but it has kind of it's becoming a women only thing yeah. um and just the support and the the camaraderie and the love is just Aww. it's a really 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 special place and off the back of that then I've created and because of my yoga experience my pregnancy yoga experience I said and also kind of because of COVID although I think this is something we'll carry on doing long term um I'm working with a yoga instructor so we do a four-week pregnancy yoga course for people which is again all online and it's for people who are finally pregnant and we again give people an opportunity at the beginning of the class just to check in um share how they're doing um because you don't need to be a hangout member to be there although mm -hmm. if you are a hangout member you get a discount on anything else that I do um and yeah I'm just kind of slowly but surely kind of building this you're building this a tribe of, is what you're doing well yeah, yeah I guess so and this platform of support that wasn't there um and, and I'm really yeah I feel very privileged that I'm able to do that so um yeah you should you should be very proud it's incredible thank you what would you say to anyone who was going through their fertility journey at the moment could you give them is there like little nuggets of wisdom you could give someone or Oh, so like there's hundreds, yeah, <laughs> hundreds. Like people say, like, how do you, how do you like keep hoping? Like, how do you keep that hope alive? I think one for me, the hope, I think when the hope goes, that's when, you know, you need to stop that yeah. kind of thing. You know, um, I think understanding and trying to realise that, like one of the hardest things when you're going through a fertility journey is the idea that actually you're not going to have children. Um, and we had decided pretty much that we weren't going to adopt. Fostering was something that I knew that I would want to look at later on in life kind of thing. But um, we were going to be a child free or a childless couple, we had kind of decided. Um, and realising that and kind of trying to accept that a little bit. Um, 
I just think that's a really powerful thing to do. That's one of the hardest things to do because you don't want to ever imagine that to be the case. Yeah. But sometimes we have to be a bit realistic, you know, and you can't unfortunately like keep trying and trying and trying. And we were very lucky that, you know, we, well, we had some savings, which we spent, like we've spent over 40,000 pounds on treatment. There, I know that there are people that won't be able to afford that. Um, And and I know people who have spent £70,000 and walked away without a child, which, you oh. know, it's, there are different reasons that people, you know, end up walking away from it or, or they split up with their partner because it's just too much, it's you know. Stressful, I, don't, yeah. I, I just, yeah, I just, you know, I guess it's about, don't try, I guess the, the takeaway tip from this is like, try not to lose yourself yeah. and lose each other in it, I guess is the key. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that would be. Yeah. Yeah. Well done. Thank you so much for speaking to me. And oh, you're really welcome. It's been an absolute pleasure. Can I ask you some questions, some okay. little last minute short fire mm-hmm. ones? So number one, if you could go for coffee with anyone, any woman in the world, dead, alive, famous family, who would it be and why? I was sat there and I was like, who would I go? I was asking Bob this. Who would I go for coffee <laughs> with? I genuinely... I'm at a loss. And you know what I thought? I thought what I'd really love to do, and I think this is, for me, it's when I've become a mum, it's only now that I've turned around to my mum and thanked her for being my mum and all of the work that she put into that. And, like, you know, like cleaning the goddamn high chair. I'm so tired oh my of God, cleaning the high it. chair. I <laughs> I'm just stuck Baby in this high weaning. chair groundhog day. <laughs> um, and so I'd quite like to kind of go go for a coffee with, like, my 20-year-old mum. Does that sound really weird? <laughs> no, it doesn't. Um, lovely. Because, like, she had me when she was 21. So maybe 21, wow. you know. She had my sister when she was 18. So they were very young when they had us. Um, but I kind of, I'd love to know who she was then and, and have a chat with her about motherhood and how she was feeling and, and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's what I just, I thought I would love. But, and then I thought, God, wouldn't it be amazing to get like all of my family at that age, like my Nana and my nanny yeah. and, and really talk to them about who they are. I just thought that would, that's who I'd want to kind of sit around and have a coffee with. Yeah. I just have they given you like lots of pearls of wisdom where now you're on your motherhood journey? Um, they have, and they, it's like, one, one of my sisters really annoyed me. <laughs> said, being a mum's really hard, you know? And I was like, I know, I've just spent seven years trying to do it. I'm well aware, you know, I'm putting the groundwork in, you know. I've watched you all have babies. I, I know it's hard. Um, so they can say frustrating things. But no, they have been amazing support and just, um, and yeah, just, I don't know, just been there, I guess, really, which is. Which is and we haven't had to buy a single thing because they saved everything oh, which wow. is really lovely actually because they hadn't told me and like some of them their little ones are kind of a bit more grown up now but they they knew they were they were confident we were going to have little ones and they had oh. saved the cots and and all different wardrobes and everything for us so, oh. that, so it was there ready for so us so she is sorted lovely. that is an yeah. incredible gift especially yeah. after the cost of IVF <laughs> so. absolutely yes you're not wrong <laughs> <laughs> so um what have you heard yourself saying that your mum used to say to you? Yeah, and this is like, do you know, <laughs> Bob is going to shoot me. He better not listen to this. Um, <laughs> do you know what I found? And and I don't know whether this was worse because of COVID, but I, my mum used to walk around and kind of say, you know, like oh, I spend my life picking up after everyone. <laughs> 
And, you know, and I'm just like, I feel like I do that already, (laughs) you know, and I just, so I did, I nipped that in the bud because I think that that is a really, you know, I was listening to another podcast a while ago and, you know, when you have a baby, there's a lot of things you end up doing because you're at home, but there was this whole thing on this podcast about contracts. Like I never signed a contract that I was going to pick up after everyone. I never signed a contract that I was going to be a housewife, that I was going to be a maid, that I was going to be, you know, and, and I think that that was really powerful that I'd kind of needed to, like I, you know, we, we wanted to be a mum and a dad to our, mm-hmm. to our family, to our children. But, and with that comes some difference in balance, you know, but I just, you know, we kind of, I think you need to set your boundaries yeah. quite a lot. Um, and so I did have to have that conversation with Bob, um, just so that he understood, you know, that otherwise, I think that's such an important part of becoming parents is having regular conversations, um, like really regular conversations about where you're both at, how you're both feeling. Like it's something I always, um, it's not quite related, but, um, speak to parents about in terms of when they bring home a baby, how are they going to manage the nights? Because I think, there's so much that the woman's awake and staring at her sleeping partner, like, and then he wakes up and goes, oh, I didn't sleep very well last night. And the poor woman's been up all night with a baby who's been oh. feeding constantly. And it's kind of like, you know, just keeping the conversation flowing all the time. Like, even if it's every day, checking with each other, like, how, how, how are we doing as a family? Like, what, what can we change? What, what could we do different, perhaps? And I think that's a really healthy way to, not necessarily a family meeting, but to keep, um, keep everyone relatively happy (laughs) chipper yeah exactly no I think touching in we did it again at the beginning of lockdown um suddenly Bob was home and and I work from home anyway and have done for the last few years actually um and and it was weird him being in the space and you know I had to kind of say to him like this is my domain during the day you know and (laughs) this is yeah, this is this is like not not normal for me, and I know it's not normal for you, but like this is home to him, and he was furloughed for a long time as well. So it was, whereas I was still working. Yeah. So yeah, I do think it's really important, as you say, to kind of yeah have what can be difficult situations, and you don't necessarily want to rock the boat, but I think it's better to have them early mm-hmm. um, than let things fester. Absolutely, yeah, because your poor partner probably has no idea what's going on in your head (laughs) exactly exactly no that's true it's not fair is it and so unless you have those conversations and then you can realize you know what is going on in people's heads but yeah none of us are mind readers unfortunately and lastly what's your um what's your best mum hack or life hack since becoming a mum shall we say so one like on a practical level someone bought me I don't know if you have cook in Dubai, but there's but no, food we, delivery. No, we don't. But I used to live in London, so I know exactly yeah. what cook is. And that's I love it. Them. <laughs> oh my god! So I got sent um, by we a very generous friend. Just not cook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So by a very generous friend, I got sent. Um, I don't know how many it was, like 12, 24 meals for one wow. for the freezer. That's that I amazing. Just put, oh my gosh. Because people say, you know, like batch cook and okay. we plan to and it never happened. Um, and so like that was incredible because then when Bob went back to work and, you know, like it meant that I could just get one of those out of the freezer, stick it in the oven or the microwave and no, it was just amazing. But more generally, so that's a practical life hack, mm-hmm. I would say, for when you've just had a baby. But more generally, my one thing is like listen to all of the advice that you're given, but only hear the bits that you want, mm-hmm. you know, and just ignore the rest because yeah. people are full of advice and full of 
ideas and everything. And I think it is important to kind of listen and hear from past experience and that kind of thing. Um, but don't beat yourself up if you don't follow all of it, you know, just know, realize the ones that are right for you and, 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 and do, do take them on board. And your story earlier about, um, your epidural story that you had 25 years ago, um, that really struck me because I think so often what the bits that people do tell are all the bad stories. Um, people don't always say the good stories and the, and the lovely bits that happened. And it's the bad stories that, um, that we get told and it's the bad stories we remember, um, hence your own experience. So yes, don't take it all on board. It's very good advice indeed. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, so where so can people welcome. find you? Another plug, go on. Absolutely, go for it. Let's do this. Um, so on Instagram, I am trying years, as in they were very trying years, <laughs> and um, we were trying for years. Um, my website is catstrawbridge.com, um, and my podcast is Finally Pregnant, which is on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, any most good podcast providers. Thank you so, so, so much for your time. It's been such a pleasure. Oh, it really has been lovely, Zoe. Thank you Thank so you. much. And uh, mm. have a lovely time with Ren when she gets home from school of nursery. Thank you. <laughs> nursery, absolutely. Got a few hours to go, a bit of work to get done. Yeah, but no, crack yeah. on. <laughs> Look forward to it. Look forward to it. I love it. That's my favourite moment, moment of the day. I genuinely like skip up there. <laughs> oh, see, does she, does she beam when she sees you? She does. And oh. then probably like, and then sometimes she'll cry and then she'll be fine. Yeah. But I think it's the relief. So kind <laughs> yeah, of, yeah. No, which is you know it sounds terrible but it's nice you know at least she's pleased to see me <laughs> <laughs> obviously I don't want her to cry over it but you know <laughs> it's quite a nice feeling <laughs> oh, lovely well thank you no thanks it's been amazing thank you so so much um and uh yeah take care yeah. all right then Zoe thank you so much thank and, you so uh, very you much soon. you too okay bye take care bye bye I hope you've enjoyed the first ever episode of Motherhood Exposed. Kat is a truly wonderful and inspirational human being and her passion to support the trying to conceive community is infectious. If you've enjoyed listening to the podcast, please like, rate and subscribe and head over to our Facebook group, Motherhood Exposed, to be part of our supportive community of mums. You can find me on the usual socials, so look me up and I'll catch you on the next episode. <laughs>